Because hurt people, sometimes hurt people is so cliche but true. You become the excuse and the excused, the burning building and the fire expecting to be rescued while left alone until you are left alone, until you have to be good to your friends again and send apologies years too late until you hear someone you love say they can't forgive you and you feel success and emptiness in the same body until you realize you are not the only one. We are all hurting and as a result hurting each other until you learn that this life was never just about you. Hey, I'm Natasha T. Miller, and this is The Science of Grief. On today's episode, we're going to stretch our definition of grief a little bit and dive into a loss that is common for a lot of us, the loss of friendship and ghosting. There are a lot of reasons that friendships can fall apart, different ways in which they come to an ending. For today's show, our producer, Aaron Appleby, spoke with a friend of theirs, Camille Rogers, about avoiding conflict with two lifetime friends by ghosting them and the feelings of guilt they feel as a result. Later on, I'll talk to a friend of mine, Tierra Couch, who's a social worker out in Atlanta. But what makes this story special is that Tierra and I have actually had some conflicts in our friendship as well and had a bit of mending to do ourselves. But before you get to hear a little bit about that story, let's start with Aaron and Camille. Before we hear from Camille, I want to tell you a story. I met Scott in 2017. We were working at a restaurant. I thought he was funny. He thought I was funny. We got along really, really well. Um, I met his family, you know. Uh, we became buddies. And uh, a couple years pass, I visit him in Detroit. I think things are fairly hunky-dory um, until one day I asked him for his skincare routine and he gave it to me and then I didn't respond and the following day I see that I was blocked on every single channel. I didn't really understand it at first because he had unfollowed my alt Twitter and so I texted him and... I see that my message doesn't go through, um, which was alarming because this is someone I, I very much cared for, but maybe I could have cared for more. I guess I didn't reply to them. I had a friend reach out to him uh, to ask if he was okay because I was worried. And Scott reported back that he felt that our dynamic was toxic and that we um, shouldn't have contact anymore, that we shouldn't be friends. For weeks, I mean, I was devastated, feeling insecure and that the trust had been broken. I was thinking how I, how I could get back into the fold, but also wanting to give them space. Uh, about eight months after the fact, I sent a letter to say, hi, um, I'm sorry for centering the friendship on me. I, I feel that's what happens, and I'm sorry that it did, and I would like to see you again. I miss you. Um, because I did. I mean, they were the friend that I would watch movies with, and 
we would get stoned and we would laugh. And I didn't have that with, with many other people, um, that sense of camaraderie. But I see why they felt they should distance themselves. But I wish there was a conversation. I wish there was an opportunity to discuss what had happened, to make amends, to see what the path forward was, but, but that didn't happen, and it really messed with me. I think this story stands in opposition, right, with Camille's story of Lola and Mason. Uh, or maybe it just presents the opposite situation. Camille was the doer of the ghosting. And what's interesting is both me and them, both me and Camille, felt grief in our own way. I felt grief that turned into anger and turned back into sadness. And I think Camille similarly dealt with these feelings of um, loss. You know, the looking in the rearview mirror and seeing this friendship in the in the background and, and the possibilities that this friendship once had being dashed. Even and, and when I go to Detroit, I I think often of how, you know, if I was still friends with this person, I could go see them and I could go spend a night with them. Um, or whatever it is, you know, but that just isn't in the cards for now. And I've made peace with it. And I think retelling it has made me a little emotional, but you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to dive in if that's what it takes to, um, to heal, to share my story, to, to think about how other people have gone through similar situations where they've lost their friends because we've all gone through it in our own ways. Friendship is like the seasons. Camille says that. And maybe that's an idea that I'm becoming more accustomed to. And I'm, being, I'm feeling more secure in myself that it's okay when friends need to step away. Uh, but still, it's a sadness. It's a loss. And it shouldn't be ignored and, and it should be talked about. Now, the story you're about to hear involves my good friend Camille Rogers and how they ghosted friends of theirs in college. I think it's essential that we have this other side of the story because grief, you know, grief goes beyond life and death. I mourn every lost iPhone, Game Boy, stained sweater with a ferocity my psychiatrist calls symptomatic, whatever that means. Some other background knowledge. Today I'm speaking with my lovely friend, Camille Rogers. We've been pals for some time since we met at Michigan State University and serendipitously arrived to our respective neighborhoods of New York City, Harlem for Camille, Bedside, Brooklyn for myself, only a few weeks apart. Today, I'm interviewing Camille about a subject not often discussed when we speak about grief, the loss of friendships, breaking up with pals, grief over the distance we put between ourselves and those we were once inseparable from. Why do we distance ourselves and why do we soft block? What are the boundaries of contemporary life and how do we enforce these boundaries? Obviously, it's a large springboard, but I'm hoping our conversation can illuminate particular communication styles, anecdotal, but at the very least, interesting. Okay, Camille, could you say your name, where you live, and how we know each other? Yes, sure. Um, so my name is Camille Rogers, currently living in Harlem, New York City. Like, what's your, what's your modus operandi as a, as a bud? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I feel like that's another area of my life that's shifting at the moment. Um, 
I will say I do still feel very grounded in my ability to be sort of the mom friend, sort of the the caregiver, the looking out for everyone, the always willing to give advice, be the shoulder to cry on. Um, but I would say that I've had some experiences in the past where that tendency of mine has been a detriment to myself and to relationships, friendships, or otherwise. Um, so I'm kind of reworking that. Um, cause I, I do really feel my, I find value in myself when I am reliable and when I feel like people can count on me, um, which I think is a good thing, you know, but I am not always the best at juggling that with my own needs, um, my own desires. So there's been a lot of internal and external work, I'd say, um, in terms of shifting that and like setting boundaries for myself within old and new friendships as they develop. So, um, yeah, I would say that's that's like the summary though of like mm. who I am as a as a friend. Yeah, I mean I feel like I should I should give a a, a response, but I I find that what you've just said is accurate. I think you are a caregiver. <laughs> so, I want to talk about um friendship grief. So, has mm-hmm. friendship grief been prominent in your life or relationship grief? Like w- when I say those phrases, what comes to mind for you? Mm. Yeah, I I can think of two examples right off the bat. And this is definitely because I was just talking about one of these examples with my roommate last night. Um, but I associate these two people together because, <clears throat> excuse me, I, one, I'm not proud of how I have handled either situation um, and how I continue to handle it. Um, And there's also a bit of, uh, I don't know, just similar energy from both of these people. Um, So for context, I have one friend that um, I feel like I should use like fake names or something. Sure. Um, (laughs) Toby and and Marissa. I'm going to go with, it needs to be a name of someone I don't actually know. (laughs) And like not super obvious. Um, give me a second. Yeah, do your thing. Like I'm like same first letter is like, is that too much of a <laughs> like way? Um Clark. No, we'll say Lola. Okay. And Mason. That's what we'll what we'll do. Okay, I love it. Yeah. Lola and Mason. Yeah. So, um, Lola is someone that I've known since eighth grade. Um, and honestly, I can't even really place where our friendship started, but it was one of those things where it was like, okay, we're really close and we're going to kind of like stick together. Um, which was, which was good. Um, I moved middle schools in eighth grade. There's a dog barking. Um, (laughs) I moved middle schools in eighth grade. So it was nice to have someone that kind of like naturally gravitated towards me and wanted to be my friend. Um, and it was very much so like, uh, you know, 
matching best friend necklaces. Like you have one half, I have the other. Um, and then when I left Michigan, my last two years of high school and moved to Atlanta, um, Lola was one of the people that I did actually keep in touch with. And when I would return to Michigan for holiday breaks or just to visit family, like we would always make a point of seeing each other. Um, but I will say there were some things that I picked up on when I would return to visit that I wasn't necessarily a fan of, but didn't know how to address those concerns because they didn't directly relate to my friendship with her. Um, it was more a relationship I observed between her and her family, her and other people. Um, so I just kind of kept quiet about it. And then come me coming back to Michigan for college, uh, still maintained our friendship. And I remember um, one summer, I was living in the summer dorms and she came to visit me. Um, and it was, you know, it was like fine. I don't, honestly, I don't even remember what we did. I, I can remember us sitting in the dining hall together at one point and, oh, we went and got, yes, we went and got um, a tattoo. We, she went and got a tattoo. I didn't get one. I'm like mm. recalling this as I'm retelling it. Um, but I do remember a conversation we had because we were in the car after getting the tattoo and she asked me why I wasn't wearing the best friend necklace that she got me back in eighth grade, which I usually did make a point of wearing whenever I would see her when I would return back to Michigan on those visits. But I was kind of like, you know, I have it, you know, tucked away somewhere, but you know, I'm like 19 now, I'm not really going to wear, you know, this best friend necklace. That's my thought, but I didn't express that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I could tell she was upset by it. And, um, I told her, I was like, well, you know, I usually wear this locket that I have every day. Um, I have a locket with some of my mom's ashes in it that I typically wear on a daily basis. So when I said that to her, she was like, well, you already have the tattoo for your mom. So like, you know, you don't need to wear the locket every day. And I was like, <laughs> truly, I was in disbelief. Like, I was like, wait, did she actually just, <laughs> just say that? <laughs> um, I, I don't even know how I responded. I, I may not have even have said anything. Um, I think maybe I just shrugged it off because I was like, wow, she really, she really said that. Um, the hubris. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And so the thing about her is she's always been the type of person to kind of like ca catch you off guard with her bluntness. She tends to be a very quiet, low key person, but when she, I don't know, just has something of that nature on her mind, she'll say it and it'll, it'll kind of throw you for a loop. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely, you know, mulling that over. Um, it just, I feel like it made me look at her a different way. And um, we get back to my dorm and I think it's like evening time at this point and we're hanging out, whatever, whatever. And fast forward to getting ready for bed. And um She's a very tall, very tall person, like over six feet. And I offered her the futon in my room. And she was like, I think I might be too tall for that. Can I sleep on your roommate's bed? My roommate wasn't home that weekend. And I was like, 
Um, I don't know how that's going to fare. So you can sleep on my bed. Like I'm not close with the roommate. I don't, I don't want to have that conversation. Um, so I was like, I'll get some fresh sheets for you. So I did. And then she was just kind of like standing there and I was like, what's up? And she was like, oh, well at home, like my dad always makes my bed for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) okay. In my head, I'm like, you're not at home though. But then part of me was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm hosting. So it does in a way make sense for me to, Mm -hmm. you know, make the bed for my guests. So I'm like, I'll bite Mm -hmm. my tongue and and do it. So I did. Uh, Then we go to the bathroom, the communal bathroom to, you know, wash her face, brush her teeth, what have you. And I loaned her a washcloth. Right. And we get back to my room and there's a towel rack behind the door, right. When you enter. So I like, you know, hang up my towel as one does and I'm, you know, putting my stuff away and I see that she's once again, just like kind of standing there. Like she doesn't know what to do with herself and she's holding the washcloth, like pinched between her fingers, just like letting it dangle. And I'm like, like, what's up? And she's like, where should I put this? And I'm like, oh, there's a towel rack behind the door. I'm like, maybe she didn't see me put mine there when I got back in the room. Um, and she <laughs> turns. <laughs> I, it's just still so funny for me to envision this. So <laughs> pretend my, I'm for those listening, I'm demonstrating that my arm is the towel rack. And Lola just plops the washcloth on top of the towel rack doesn't like hang it over just like sets it on top as if like to balance it on top of like this metal bar and I'm so baffled <laughs> like I, I that was like the final straw like three strikes yeah. you're out I was like okay you know once once Lola leaves tomorrow like that's it like I'm not <laughs> wow. I can't you're cold-blooded no no it was really just (laughs) it was really just like a I cannot at first it was like okay I can't have this person in my space like this again at least for the foreseeable future um but then it kind of turned into a a general just like ick (laughs) so to speak for the entire friendship and like I like I mentioned there were other other things that I would notice, just the way she would talk with her parents, I was never a fan of. Like, I, it makes me uncomfortable to overhear someone be disrespectful to their parents. And that's something that she would do. Um, so I was just kind of like, okay, going to let this fizzle out, I guess. But obviously Lola didn't know that I felt this way and I didn't express it. So she didn't think anything was wrong. So she would still, you know, reach out to me and, try and propose us spending time together and I would make excuses and, you know, strategically not reply for long periods of time and just try to slowly pull away. Um, Mm -hmm. But never addressing how I felt because I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I felt like I'd never been in a situation before where I was like, I don't want to be friends with you anymore because you are the way you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like that's, that's honestly how I felt. And um, so I started removing her from social media, like 
removed her from my, you know, my Finsta, um, removed her, I think from my regular Instagram and Facebook and things like that. And I don't know if she so much so noticed or not because she would still reach out to me, you know, even Mm -hmm. on social media. Like I think first what it was is I think I unfollowed her um, on Instagram, but she would still comment on my, on my photos. And so then once Instagram implemented that like restriction feature, I like restricted her ability to, you know, interact with my stuff. Um, and so actually I'd say about two weeks ago, she messaged me on Facebook. Um, and it shows up as a request because we're not friends on Facebook. I unfriended her. Um, I still have not responded to the message. Um, just, it's just like a general, like asking how I'm doing, but I'm just so, I'm still just so uncomfortable with how long it's been where this has been the dynamic of me not addressing how I feel about her, that I feel like it's too late to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's not, maybe it's not, but I just don't know how to handle it. So I just like, don't say anything which I haven't I haven't responded to her her message and the other friend um Mason similar situation where it's just like uh he came to visit me and I was like yeah no this is not I can't do this anymore um came to visit me at Michigan State that is and um similar thing you know removed from social media stop replying to texts Da, 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 da. he's given up I think I haven't heard from him in quite some time but um every once in a while Lola will pop up and try and ask how I'm doing like she did two weeks ago yeah. so whoa yeah no this is a great area to dive into because <laughs> I'm like I'm like when am I going to be excommunicated <laughs> no 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> oh, wow okay so i i kind of want to walk through some of your your feelings in the in the intervening years what has been for you like what comes to mind when you think of lola is it mm-hmm. just this feeling of dislike we'll call it that dislike and that's kind of the end of it or is there more nuance i think there's a bit more nuance because like i said i do feel a level of of kind of guilt of, you know, I was, this was someone that I was close with and Mm -hmm. I maintained the friendship with me moving, you know, States away and over the years. Um, and I know for me to just suddenly pull away like that, it's jarring. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm aware of that. Um, I don't know at all her thoughts on it because she's never said anything about it um you know she's never asked like hey are we okay or you know how are you feeling about our friendship or you know there's never been a direct like it's been a while since I've seen you type of thing um so I really don't know where her head is at in terms of the situation Mm -hmm. um and I also for for a while (laughs) had the mindset that, you know, okay, I've done all these things, you know, removed you from social media. I'm not replying to your text messages. Um, 
for days at a time, you know, kind of like get the hint type of thing. Mm. For a while I was in that mindset of like, why isn't she picking up on the signals I'm, I'm putting out that I clearly don't want to still be friends with her. But once again, knowing her, it doesn't surprise me that she, there's a possibility that she's not aware um, at all of how I could be feeling. And that's why she hasn't asked those questions of like deeper level of like where I'm at in terms of our, our friendship. Um, so that being a part of my, my feelings of it. And I wouldn't say that I actively dislike her as a person or I, I wish her well, you know, I wish her the best. Um, I just, once again, kind of what I mentioned with like the type of friend that I am in the past, I haven't been great about setting boundaries. And so I think having that experience with her visiting me kind of shook me because I was like, okay, wow, I've really been friends with this person for this long and didn't realize that they were like this or, you know, maybe I did, but I just turned a blind eye to it. And then a little bit of internal frustration that I let things get to that point, or I let myself be friends with someone that I wasn't actually okay with being friends with to some degree. Um, so that's, that's a part of it too, I'd say. Yeah. Were you upset with yourself at all for having spent this amount of time with someone that turned out to be someone completely different or was it kind of just a, a learned experience or a learning experience when I was winning? Um, I would say more of a learning experience than me personally being, um, disappointed in the friendship in particular, but I think the disappointment definitely stems from like, damn, I wish I had said something back then so that I wouldn't still be dealing with this, so to speak. Like it wouldn't even, there wouldn't even be a Facebook message that I haven't responded to, you know? Um, so yeah. And this has weighed on you in a way. With mm-hmm. the, the loss. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm uh I'm sort of thinking on this. This is a this is a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're with when you're friends with someone for that length of time, I mean I've been friends with people that I've distanced myself with in similar ways where I haven't given them a direct, we've just kind of mutually have ghosted one another as the years go by. Mm-hmm. Um and I think we'd be friendly, like most of the people that I'm friends with, uh, that I've that we mutually ghosted. I feel like if we saw each other and bumped into one another, we'd be friendly, we'd be kind, we'd say, how are you? It's good to see you. We'd joke around. But still, I connect a lot of friends from high school and middle school to a different version of who I was, and I, and I still haven't made peace with who I was. So I guess my question to you is when you think about this friend, are you thinking of a different version of yourself of who you were back then in connection to her or is it, or is it a different connection altogether? Mm. Um, honestly, I haven't thought about it, but my gut is saying mm. that yes, to a degree, there is some connection to who I was then. Um, just because I, 
the years of eighth grade through high school were just a very transformative and traumatic time in my life. There was a lot of change, a lot of things happening, um, a lot of shifts. So when I think back on that time, there's always so much that comes with it. So to have this person that when I was in that time period, still felt a degree of attachment to, um, and then to be sort of on the other side of it, to be in college, to be back in Michigan, to feel a little bit more settled. And then to realize like, oh, this is a person that I carried over with me through all of that. And wait, why did I actually carry them through with me? Because, you know, what is what is this friendship actually serving um, type of thing? And I, yeah, I, I think I didn't feel like our friendship was an accurate reflection and I was becoming by the time I got to Michigan State. Um, and I think that was, that visit was like a moment of realization for me for that. Have any relationships or dynamics that you've lost um, over the years, have any been detrimental to your mental health, to you, to how you've navigated the, the months ahead? Uh, and you don't have to go into specifics. I just wonder how you, approach those situations and then how you, how you came out of those mm-hmm. and what made those significant pa- compared to Lola and, and Mason, which mm-hmm. while they had their own significance, they obviously didn't affect your mental health long-term. Mm-hmm. Could you, could you speak to any particular situation? Yeah, I think, well, to start off, I, I do view any, yeah, I can't think of any, um, relationship I've had with someone where it hasn't felt like a loss to a degree. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I have like honestly had moments more so with, with Lola than with Mason, but um, you know, moments of like, Oh, I remember, you know, the time we went to go see whatever movie and it was so fun. And, you know, um, so definitely that sense of distance between the memories that you've already made with someone and knowing that you won't make future memories with them, I think is something I find myself thinking about a lot. Um, when I've experienced the loss of, you know, romantic or platonic relationships. So yeah, I think becoming close with someone, no matter how it happens or for how long you're going to feel something when that's no longer the case, I think. Um, and I'm a very sentimental person. So sometimes it, it resonates in ways that I find myself not always expecting. Um, and it's kind of like looking through, like looking in the, um, the rear view mirror as I'm like driving away and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's what I'm leaving behind. Um, mm. I was only looking at it when I was driving past it. And now I'm looking back at it. I'm like, Oh wait, there was more there or maybe there wasn't more there. Um, yeah. Hmm. No, that's, that's a beautiful answer. Is there anything else you'd like to say about relationship grief or friendship grief that we haven't yet touched on? As of late, I think I have shifted in my perspective of you know, having people in your life that are 
meant to be there for the time being that they're there. There's some saying about that, like friends with the season. Oh, I'm blanking. I feel like my mom used to say it, but I can't remember Mm -hmm. it right now. Um, But something of the sentiment of like friends change as often as the seasons do. I'm paraphrasing. That's probably not exactly what it is. But um, I think I've gotten more open to that idea um, as I've gotten older and experienced these various friendship dynamics, relationship dynamics. Um, Because I did used to hang on to things. It's hard hard to let go. Um, Mm. But now I'm kind of like, you know, what's meant to be will be. Yeah. People grow, people change. So it is what it is at the end of the day. (laughs) Wow, you and the Irishman, it is what it is. Uh, What would your advice be to people going through a friendship breakup? Like what's the the coping strategy? Mm. Um, I think give yourself time. You know, there's no set timeline for healing for anything. Um, and you know, healing is not a linear process anyway. So you may think you're over something and then three months from now, you suddenly are like, oh my gosh, I miss so-and-so so much and know that loud. Um, I think being honest with yourself and the other person involved, if you're in a situation where you're working out the distance between you and said person be honest with how you feel to them and to yourself um and even when you're alone and no longer in the possible breakup conversation if there is one being had if you're feeling sad and then feeling like you should avoid it no take a moment to feel sad Mm because that's important That was one of our young adult producers here at the Science of Grief, Aaron Appleby, speaking with a friend of theirs, Camille Rogers. And now you'll hear me speaking with a good friend of mine, Tierra Couch. Uh, Tierra, would you mind telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I specialize in working with clients who experience anxiety and trauma. One of the reasons that I'm called to do this work is um, seeing what happens with to the mental health in my community. So, as you know, a lot of times um, dealing with mental health is stigmatized and it's not always addressed in our community. There's a lot of generational trauma that isn't um, is in process, especially the trauma that goes along with the things that we're experiencing now. As far as like seeing people. We're actually seeing people die, you know, um, police brutality and things like that. We're talking about losing someone, but not necessarily in a physical sense, not necessarily to death, but uh, the loss of friendship. And we've been, you know, friends for years and years and years, and we've seen many friends come and we've seen many friends go. So I guess, you know, listening to Camille's story, uh, I want to talk a little bit about how it feels to to lose a friend. There's a lot of young people that listen to this podcast and, you know, they're, they're growing into themselves. They're growing in and out of friendships. And, you know, I know that can be very difficult. So can you speak to uh, what it feels like for people to lose a friend and to lose a friend for the, for the first time? 
WDET celebrates 75 years of public radio with gratitude to our dedicated listeners. Listeners like you cherish community voices, local music, and independent journalism. This spring fundraiser, we're counting on your support, just as you count on us. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in the mobile app. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, we romanticize just romantic relationships and we don't talk about the the depth that comes along with losing friendships. Those are primarily like our first relationships, the relationships that we rely on. And there's a lot of grief associated with that. I work with a lot of clients who have, you know, anxious attachments and overthink and struggle with just maintaining friendships. So to lose a friendship, especially in the way of ghosting, is is a very difficult thing to process and cope with. And people typically go through the stages of grief when dealing with that. Yeah, so I I remember um, a personal story of mine. I had a friend, and when you talk about, like, you know, some of our first relationships and first connections are to our friends. I had a friend that was my friend in uh, kindergarten. And she was my friend up until about, you know, uh, fifth grade where we moved away. I moved away from uh, the the area I was living in. And then me and her maintained a friendship through pen paling. And um, I remember I used to go to her house. And then one day I went to her home and I knew she was home. And she had her father tell me that she was not there. And then after that, she just never spoke to me again. And that sat with me for years and years and years because I kept thinking about what did I do? So can you maybe speak to um, the importance of not ghosting and communicating with a person uh, what they actually did so that it doesn't cause some sort of stress and anxiety um, in their lives? Yes, um, it's so important because it, it does lead to feel, feelings of abandonment and struggles with attachment. So in terms of like your situation specifically, this is something that you've carried with you. What did I do? Have you, I, before I continue, I would like to ask, like, were there other situations where you referred to her when, when um, you might have experienced some rejection in terms of friendship? No, not, not, not really. I would say that that was just, that was my first real, real uh, experience with rejection as a friend. So a lot of times when people are, are ghosting, it's, you know, it's more of an avoidance thing. You don't want to have the hard conversation. You struggle with being able to communicate what your experience was that, that, that um, caused you to end the relationship. I'm going to, parallel this with like a a personal story. I had a friend that I was friends with for about 13 years and I didn't essentially ghost her, but it was so difficult to have a conversation around what happened that made our friendship end that we essentially ended a friendship without ever having a conversation. And as somebody on the other end, I still struggle with that. But in considering what it meant to her, you know, I, you know, we were friends for years. We were like family. For somebody to for somebody to end a relationship without communicating with you, it makes you question everything about yourself. Was I good enough? What did I do? How do I, how, how can I contribute? How did I contribute to the ending of this relationship? And what that does sometimes, it 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 develops, it it impacts people's thoughts about themselves. And they develop these core core beliefs about themselves. 
I'm not good enough. People don't like me. Um, I'm not a good friend. And I see that in so many people, especially like I work with a lot of Gen Z clients. And when they have these issues in relationships, especially if they're ghosted, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship, they begin to become insecure and struggle with even wanting to engage in other relationships because they remember what it feels like to be rejected or to be ghosted. Yeah. And I would, um, you know, add to that. I think that you you feel like you're not as as valuable as you may have once thought that you are because somebody can just discard you uh, so easily. I would ask you, um, for these young timers, these young, this young audience that, that tune into the podcast, um, how do you set a boundary where it's, okay, I'm walking away from this relationship and I am protecting myself while at the same time, I'm also being gentle with the person on the other end and giving them the respect and kindness that they deserve in the exit of this relationship. So a lot of the important things to, is to try to have a conversation. The hard part is, is with younger generations, sometimes communication is done through text. And that's not always the best thing to do because it can be read in any kind of way. But having that conversation of like, hey, like these are things that, first of all, these are things that I'm seeing in a relationship that I'm struggling with. And giving that person the opportunity to apply to corrections, if that's, you know, an option. And if it's not an option, being able to say like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with these things and this isn't going to work for me. So your advice would, would maybe be along the way you know, you tell things, you tell somebody things that bother you. And I think one of the, the the best parts about this conversation specifically, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, you and I have had almost a 20-year friendship at this point. And, you know, much like every friendship, you know, or most friendships, we've been through, you know, what friends uh, go through. And we had a period where we didn't talk. And I remember when we when we came back and we finally had the conversation, one of the things that came up was, hey, here's some things that you've been doing all along, maybe for years, and I have not told you. And what we did was decided to, we're just going to abandon it. But now reflecting on it, or the moment we got to reflect on it, we were actually able to understand that if I would have just said this all along, then there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of grief, there's a lot of things that could have been avoided if I was communicating. And that, and that's a dynamic that is not unique to our friendship. I see it all the time, where a lot of times I, I help clients with focusing on learning how to communicate assertively and learning how to set boundaries, because if these are things that are natural to them. They're always often concerned with the guilt that comes with telling people how they feel to the point where they don't talk about it at all. And then they let these things build up and then they essentially explode or disconnect completely without there being a conversation. When the healthy thing is to communicate as things as things come up. When people think about like conflict and conversation, it, it always sounds negative, but it doesn't have to be negative. There are ways to communicate in a way that is assertive and you can still get your point across and you're not actually hurting the person, you're helping the relationship. Like so, you said, there were conversations we could have had that would have definitely saved a lot of distance. Right, absolutely. Um, so speaking of that, you know, uh, 
And, and we just did it. So I, I assume that I know what your answer is going to be, but I still like, you know, our audience to hear it. Uh, is it ever too late to say something to someone that you've distanced yourself from? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And the, the thing is, once you've made these connections with people, you've made it, you know, you've made an impact on them. So sometimes having that conversation, no matter how late it is, even if you're not going to repair the relationship, is helpful to both of you. Yeah. And and I would, you know, I, I think that, and maybe going into it with with no expectations when you have those conversations too too late in the game. Cause we think about, you know, is it too late for Camille to to go to Lola and tell her what happened? Is it too late for her, uh, for them? Um, I, my apologies. Is it too late for uh, Camille to go, well, I did, to go to Lola and say what, what happened um, or apologize for what happened. But I think it's really about having no expectations of saying, hey, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to tell you what happened, but I'm not going to predict your response. And your response is not going to be all about me. Cause I imagine that if you have, a certain expectation when you apologize to somebody. And I, in in the last poem of, of my book, you know, I talk about until you apologize to some, somebody you love years too late and you hear them basically say they can't forgive you. And I think you have to be prepared for that because then you can spiral into another set of anxiety and grief when you don't get the response you were looking for. So how would you prepare these, these young people for accepting the response they get and not trying to to predict it or or get the outcome they're looking for, hoping for the outcome, but being okay without that outcome. So, you know, exactly what you said. A lot of times people go into these conversations and they're overthinking. My suggestion would be to, you know, not have two, have two sides of the conversation. Sometimes people go in with the assumption of, okay, it might go up, it might go this way and it might go that way. And that's a protective factor so that, you know, whatever the outcome is, you feel okay with it because you've played it out. But a lot of times when you do that, you go in with this assumption of how things are going to play out and can be disappointed. So really just sticking to the facts and not and not the feelings. And, and, and when I say facts, it's like, if you're trying to have both sides of the conversation, remembering that, no, I actually didn't talk to this person. Who told me that? Who said that? These are things that I feel based off of what happened, but these are not the facts until I actually talk to this person. Right, and and I, I mean, you know, um, one thing that I, I I love about therapy is I get to talk about friendships in it. And one thing that I learned recently was my therapist just saying, once you make a decision, you stick to that decision and you be invested in that decision 100% and you do not try to control where that decision is going, especially if it involves other people, you let it go uh, where it's going. So I do want to talk a little bit about um, how you believe, because we talk about intimate relationships and we talk about, you know, the grief of losing people here, but uh, the things that lead to people having severe mental health issues or or uh, just not feeling healthy mentally, some of that can be because of a toxic friendship. Uh, can you talk about the ways in which like toxic friendships can um, can can contribute to you not feeling safe or healthy mentally? If you're engaged in a relationship where there are poor boundaries or you're involved with someone who, you know, struggles to navigate their own mental health, it can be extremely draining. Um, there, there's times when I've, I hear about friendships where, you know, with the friend being the closest person to that person, they are often targeted by whatever symptoms or experience and 
experiences this person is having. One of the boundaries I often request my clients set is, you know, hey, if you are in a friendship where you guys are communicating about feelings, check in and ask that person to check in. Do you have the emotional capacity to, you know, hear me right now? And if they don't, then that's okay. And if they do, then you can communicate. But oftentimes people sometimes use their friends as a dumping ground. Yeah, that is that is important. I I mean, you know, again, we we know each other and I had a similar incident where someone was close to me and everything that they were dealing with, they were putting on me constantly, constantly, constantly. And then I tried to set the boundary where I said, hey, I cannot handle this because now it's affecting my mental health. This is weighing on me, your situation, and I want to help you as a friend, but but I need to set a boundary. So now let's maybe talk about, because this person I feel like completely violated my boundary, said, you know what? I'm going to keep going. I don't care what you say. How can you absolutely set those boundaries for yourself in friendship so that you don't lose your friends, so that you 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 don't just want to explode every time you talk uh, to, to this person and they're setting their things on you? How do you set those healthy boundaries in friendship? So the reality is you can set the boundaries, you can maintain the boundaries, but you cannot force people to accept your boundaries. So when you get to that space of seeing that, hey, I've commun- I've clearly communicated my boundaries, you have to maintain your boundaries. And when someone doesn't respect them, then there has to be um, an actual consequence. If that is limiting the way that you communicate or limiting how you communicate with this person. But you've let them know like, hey, this is my boundary. I'm not in the space to be able to receive all of the things that you're experiencing right now. Please check in with me. You notice that they're doing it anyway. Hey, um, just want to remind you that this is the boundary that I've set. Happens again. I cannot communicate with you in this space anymore because I've set boundaries and you're not respecting them. And you have to stick with that. We talk about boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. And it sounds like this easy thing to do, but it's very difficult because you will lose things that you want when you set boundaries. Yeah. So I I do want to step outside of the bounds of boundaries right now and circle back to Camille talked about... um, all of these things. I'm a poet, so I got to go with that. Camille talked about um, all of these different things that people did to irritate them, right? And I know sometimes we're just being ourselves. And I felt like that was a really, really uh, key component in, in that interview and going into what we talked about with, you know, you cut somebody off and they'll never know exactly what they did, which means they can never improve it. But I think it's a conversation of like, how do you recognize when you are really overreacting to things or not being fair to the person who are doing these things that are irritating you before you just cut them off? How do you say, okay, this is a me thing, but still see the good in this person that's on the other end as your friend, as opposed to just limiting them to the things that like, that irritate you? It's important to take responsibility so, and, and thinking about that, that spe- about um, Camille specifically, there were a lot of things that were building up that irritated them, but they didn't communicate them. So they didn't allow the people around them to apply any corrections. So it's like, 
any relationship, you're teaching people how to love you. You're teaching people how to treat you. And in doing that, you have to say like, hey, like, that's really annoying. Or um, can you fix your towel? This is my space. Like there are things that you have to communicate in order for them to know like this is not okay. But if you don't say anything, then you're, you're giving them permission because they don't know that they're doing something wrong, especially if everyone else has accommodated them or accepted those things. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that one of, uh, you know, the key takeaways here, you know, for our audience, uh, I think that what you keep communicating is, I'm going to do it again, is communication and communicating and telling people, uh, hey, these are the things that are bothering me before there there becomes this this ending to something that's very significant. And I, and I, I want to speak about the ending before my brother passed away. You know, I feel like there were two deaths in our relationship. Before my brother passed away, we had a fight and I did not talk to him for months before his actual passing, his physical passing. And it felt like a death to me because I had, I, I lost somebody that I loved and I couldn't pick up the phone and share these moments with him and hug him and laugh with him. And just, you know, so it felt like, it felt like a death. And maybe can you speak to, to how heavy that can feel when you lose someone that you love, but they're actually still alive. It's it's extremely heavy. Thinking that like this is someone that is still walking this earth and you don't have and you're not connecting with them and you're not communicating with them. It is a gut punch. And thinking about all of the a lot of times like there's these barriers that are involved in not communicating with this person that you literally have control over. But feeling like you don't not having access to somebody that you love that is, you know, that is reachable. I know that had to be extremely difficult with then coming to terms with now I can't talk to him. Right. And I think that's, that's, you know, one, one lesson that I learned especially is people that I can talk to, people who have not violated my boundaries in such an unforgivable way that it's okay to forgive. It's okay to say, hey, I messed up and hey, you messed up. But again, this one moment does not define you, especially when you've been in my life for years and years and years. Uh, something that was different, though, is I- I'm... Can oh, I ask you before, you before you continue, what was the barrier to you communicating with your brother after the blow up? Oh, I think it was ego. I think it was pride. I think that it was me not wanting to go first, me feeling like someone owed me an apology. And now that, you know, I'm I'm years older, even if my brother was still alive, you know, I would probably think that maybe I could have found a healthier way to set boundaries because that did weigh on my own mental health, you know, because I thought about it every single day, even when he, you know, when he was alive and I played these conversations in my head of what I was saying, what he should say and what he should do. And, um, and that, that sent me down a, a spiral that was very, very un- unhealthy. And I, I would hate to see that happening to, um, to these, these younger uh, adults that are listening in to, to this podcast, you know, sometimes again, one moment doesn't define your relation, define your relationship, but it's better to just say what it is, and but an ego and pride will get you. And I think that it that it got the best of me in that moment. And what were you saying when I cut you off? Um, so you really cut me off. Uh, so I do want to say, uh, you know, Gen Z is a different generation, uh, you know, from from you and I. And uh, yeah, me too. When I when I lost, uh, you know, Marcus 
before he passed away. He wasn't really on social media, you know, and neither was I. Social media was big, but it wasn't like the biggest thing in our lives. So, you know, I feel like with with Gen Z, with them losing friends, they're all over the internet, right? So you lost your friend, but your friend is all, your ex-friend is all over TikTok and all over Instagram and all over Twitter. And you seeing them live their life and you feel like you are just in the distance. And that seems like an almost an everyday loss. So I just wanted to talk about how do you feel Gen Z, the losses of a friendship are a little bit different from uh, when we lost friends when 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 we were growing up. So it's really different because, you know, all the things that you mentioned, we would lose a friend and we're not we're not likely to run into this person. We don't have to see their, their life um, play out and we may not even have access to it. So like um, what, like what Camille did was separate themselves by eliminating the, con- the connection on social media. But this person still has access. And even so, people go on people go even further where if somebody has removed them or blocked them, they can still access their life. So there's the opportunity to see what's going on and create stories and also like increase whatever pain they're experiencing because they're seeing this person go on without them. And then there's also the other side of it, the toxic side, where when people are having issues in their relationships and they go to social media to vent and they go to social media and um, post subliminals that, that kind of, you know, make the whatever the, the problem was bigger because while they're not communicating with the person directly, what's happening is still being communicated. Yeah, so I would ask you, how important is it, you know, for, for Gen Z to disconnect, to delete, to block, to remove, to not look at after they've lost a friendship? It's, it's extremely important because if you're not, especially if it's a, a friendship where you guys haven't communicated, I guess my trend, my thing really is communication. But um, if you okay. see this trend, then, you know, you're essentially just hurting yourself. You're adding to the overthinking. You're adding to the questions. You're adding to whatever pain that you're experiencing, any anxious thoughts that you're experiencing because you haven't talked to this person. And then also you're prolonging your healing process because the more that you expose yourself to this person's life, the more that you're thinking about it and you're not really giving yourself the time to process what happened and to, you know, grieve the loss of the relationship. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's just like seeing your, your ex-partner on, you know, on Instagram with their new partner and living their lives and having fun. And it's just eating you up every time you, you, you see it. And I think the best thing is, <laughs> and I'm right, I'm right here. So what, um, you know, again, these 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 might be, you know, an audience that are losing people for the first time. And sometimes it's necessary for relationships to end. You know, we talk about Camille and Natal and Camille and Mason. And, you know, Camille's boundaries were Camille's boundaries. And to Camille, these things were worth, you know, ending the friendship. And Camille does not seem to have a desire to go back to the friendship. Whereas you have Lola who pops in, you know, the person names they use every now and again, still just trying to test the waters and, and, and still maybe try to figure out, you know, what what happened or get back into the friendship. But I said that to say, it's it, an ending sometimes is necessary. And that ending sometimes causes pain and it causes grief and it causes anxiety and it causes mental health and spirals and a lot of things, even when it's dealing with friendship, but it ends. What advice would you give to these young listeners to be able to health, in a healthy way, 
deal with the ending. When there is no apologies in sight, when there is no hope or room to get back into it, you just say, you have a friendship that ended and you're grieving it. How do you navigate that grief and that loss and and take care of yourself in the meantime? You know, unfortunately, you know, grief and loss is a huge part of life. In any relationship that we engage in, there is going to be some form of pain, even if it's the best relationship. But when dealing with an ending, understanding that, you know, things have endings. It was never supposed to be everybody comes with you forever. And just really accepting that. Going through those stages of grief, anger, um, depression, denial, bargaining, acceptance, all of those things, being able to allow yourself to feel those experiences, process them. And accept that it's over. Yeah. And and maybe in that, I think that make room for for new things. You know, there, there are other things that, that can grow. There's other things that will eventually fill that, that space. When we talk about, you know, we have a, a, a bunch of different experts on here. Some, you know, still adhere to the stages of grief. Some, some feel like, you know, grief is just messy, which we all know it is. It can happen at any time. You know, not a linear thing. But I think one thing that, all of you acknowledge is um, that you have to actually be just accept that this thing is happening to you. Acknowledge that this thing is happening to you. Losing a friendship is is very very real. It's 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 like losing a person. It's like losing a romantic partner. You have lost something, and there's no no need to to minimize it. I think. Um, so I would, you know, just piggyback off of what you're saying. If you feel those, that messiness of grief, if you feel those stages of grief, even when it's dealing with a friendship, don't say it's just a friendship. Because friendships are really big in life. It's, I, I, even with like going through the stages of grief, it's like you said, it's not linear. You go through different different phases at different times and you can go back to the same phase thinking about like friendship, these are, I sometimes consider it more and more important than um, a romantic relationship because sometimes these are the relationships that last, that last throughout whatever other situations you have going on. It is important as, this is important as family. A lot of times your friends become family and we do minimize sometimes the, the experience of losing a friend when there is real heartbreak that goes along with that. Yeah, we just try to brush it off and go ahead. Something that Camille mentioned, and this was a a, a theme that that was mentioned throughout a lot of other episodes, was uh, and a lot of other episodes were about physically losing somebody, but it was about losing future moments. You know, I you know lost a friend recently just to us deciding that the friendship no longer works for us, and we've been friends for years. But this is a person that I used to speak to every single day. So when I think about those future moments, it was sometimes you think, wow. This is the person I would call to tell them what just happened to me. This is the person I would call to tell them my good news. This is the part, you know, so you're, you're not just losing the friend in the past, the time that you've put in in the present. It's all of these other, it's just like when, you know, you, your, your, your friend or your father or anybody passes away and you think you're not going to be here for all of these significant moments in my life. It seems to be that same way with a friend. But I think that we all have to maybe find that balance of, it's okay. It happens. Loss happens. And if it was healthier for you to leave the friendship, that's okay. And there are other ways in which those moments can still be special to you without that that person involved. 
going back to you, you know, mentioning having like the ego and the pride that caused you to not, you know, have the conversation to mend the relationship. The ego and the pride can also cause people to feel like they shouldn't experience the full weight of the pain of losing a relationship. It's, it, in minimizing it, it's like, okay, this didn't matter to me. I'm okay. No, it did matter to you. And it is okay to be sad. It's okay to feel pain. It's okay to give your time to process what you're experiencing. Absolutely. So um, what we like to do is, or at the end of these episodes, I like to, you know, ask the experts, even if it's aside from just uh, friendship, are there any tips or any things uh, that you would recommend to our younger audience um, to do to, you know, take care of themselves and their mental health, whether that be journaling, writing, dancing, playing, therapy, you know, whatever those things are, uh, I would welcome you to to tell those young listeners. So I definitely recommend therapy. Um, also, as this has been the common thing among everything I said, <laughs> communicating is so important. Assertive communication is so important. Being able to tell people how you feel and what you're experiencing and not carrying the guilt that sometimes comes with that. Um, Self-care is so important. So that can be dancing, painting, whatever, but it's whatever that just brings you some joy. And then, you know, some people, some people, um, they like to over, you know, do a lot of activities and some people need to just sit. So for those people that like to just be alone and struggle with, you know, being around other people and feel like that's something that they have to do, you you can, your self-care can just be sitting alone, doing things alone. Or even doing nothing. Doing, doing nothing is my favorite thing to do. I always promote doing nothing. <laughs> yes, and I know that. People, people connect doing nothing with being lazy, but if you need to recharge, you know, your body does things for you every day. You're doing something for your body. I did an interview earlier where I talked about sometimes not being productive is productive. It's production for for the future. Like you said, it's to recharge. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for for that advice. It is good having a friend on to talk about how friendships come together, how friendships sometimes end. Um, It's been amazing. And we look forward to welcoming you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. At the end of each episode, we'd like to leave you with a performance something for you to listen to and reflect on. Today's performance comes in the form of a poem that was written and performed by Imani Nichelle, who was Detroit's 2018 Youth Poet Laureate. The title of that poem is What Did I Know? What did I know about the waters? Remember that memory, the way I bled brown and hardened, Honey bled heavy like paper mache puppets and fist tongues for weeks, pooling all that fell like rain in buckets with his not name carved on the sides like road maps and boy. My womb, the water that they pulled and plucked and poured you from is still running. I beg you to return to me. And as for myself, promise to pray and prep and pry back the callous folds of your hands. There is soft beneath the hardest parts of you. I say with open and wounded womb flesh to the world, I owe you a son. Like the confidence of green hues in your fields, 
the mulberries coming into season once more and always, if he were ever to return to this place, I could make my body a good thing, all of my debts paid. This episode was produced by me, Natasha T. Miller, Aaron Appleby, our executive producer, David Lyons, and our editor, David Weinberg. Theme music by Jordan Davis with sound design and additional music by Sam Bobian. The poem you heard was What Did I Know by Amani Nichelle with additional production support from Patrick Vaughn, Holly Ann Stewart, Shanmeen Sultana, Kaylin Higgins, Maida Stangy, and Antoine Scott. The Science of Grief podcast is a collaboration between Science Gallery Detroit and WDET, Detroit's NPR station, and is supported by the Children Foundation of Michigan, MSU, FCU, and Science Sandbox. As always, if you're in an emotional distress, please talk to someone you trust or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That number, 1-800-273-8255. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of your mental health.